Welcome to Eye on the Ball. This is Garrett Rands. I'm here with Pastor Tim Everett. We're going to talk about creation today, and I think this is going to be an interesting discussion. It's one of my favorite topics of all time uh, when, we, when we talk about um, biblical uh, history and theory. This is my favorite because there's so much that we don't know. And it and it's and it's a fun thing to me to just yeah. take some guesses, right? I mean, we we have scripture, we have that as a guide, but there are some things that we that have never been revealed to us. And I think it's it's going to be interesting when we get to glory that we find out all these answers. But until then, <laughs> until then, we're gonna we're gonna talk about them. And and I think that I think God loves for us to delight in His Word and and to study deep into topics like this. So starting with verse one, Pastor Tim, God created heaven and earth. Is that right? Yeah, good morning, Garrett. Good to be with you today. Um, yeah, that's what we think. Uh, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And I think most people think God created heaven where he's at, and then he created man where we are. But, you know, really the Hebrew is God created the skies and the land. So we're really picking up, you know, after, you know, we're picking up talking about where we are here. God created the skies, God created the land. So I think we need to need to make that distinction that it wasn't that God created heaven, that place that we think of going to when we die to go and being with him and then earth. You know, God's creating the skies and the land of, of where we are. And, uh, and let me, just before we jump into it, um, I want to chase this rabbit real quickly in regards to the fact that that when God created the Garden of Eden, that that was an extension of heaven. He created a place where we know that that he was. Um, you know, uh, Jesus, we believe, was present, you know, with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. We see angels there. Um, we see Satan, you know, present. Um, so I think that we need to understand that, you know, God didn't create heaven someplace else and then heaven, uh, you know, heaven somewhere else and then earth somewhere else. He created both to be a unit. You know, he created, there There was unity between heaven and earth. And then when man sinned, when man rebelled, when, when Satan rebelled, we see a separation of heaven and earth. And so the whole story of the Bible is how do you get those back together? You know, how do you reconnect uh, uh, earth uh, that was created to be a, a unit with heaven that's been separated by man's sin? So, so we see the whole story of um, of Israel, we see the tabernacle where heaven and earth began to overlap. Um, there at the tabernacle, the presence of God was represented by the, you know, the cloud by day and the fire by night, and uh, so that's that's where God began to, to close up, you know, reunite heaven and earth. And then uh, the tabernacle became the temple in Jerusalem. And then uh, John 1.14 said Jesus came and tabernacled among us. He dwelt among us. He became you know, the, the connection. He was heaven brought to earth to connect the two. And then, of course, at Pentecost, the church uh, became a part, uh, was grafted into Israel. And, and uh, the church is um, the overlapping, the connecting of heaven and earth. So I think we, we get off to a, a bad start theologically in Scripture when we think of God creating, in verse 1, heaven, and then God creating earth, and that they were originally created separately. Um, God created the Garden of Eden to be uh, unified with heaven, and he was present until man rebelled. So the whole concept, the whole idea of, of Scripture— It was about you know, unity. It was about unity, you know, about unity. And, and, and so when we think about creation, we think about the Garden of Eden, and when, when there was the fall of man, and God placed—was uh, it cherubim— 
or yeah, seraphim, the, what, seraphim, remember the word, seraphim, seraphim uh-huh, what, right. to guard yeah. the Garden of Eden. We kind of have to think that that was a different realm, right? Which is in some ways beyond our comprehension. I mean, this is kind of like almost like science fiction type stuff, right? So mm-hmm. it's a different realm that was never visible again at that point. Yeah. I mean, and that's another story for another day probably, but in Isaiah 6, the seraphim, you know, that you see with three sets of wings literally mean flying snakes. And so, you know, Satan was a fallen seraphim. He was a fallen angel. And so, you know, when he was cursed and had to, to crawl on his belly, you know, that we see he goes from a flying serpent to a crawling, crawling. you know, in that, in that metaphor, whatever, if that's real or metaphoric. But uh, so, so all these, these creatures were present, you know, the heavenly creatures were present uh, here on earth. You know, earth and heaven was not separated from the very beginning. Uh, there was unity, there was fellowship, there was a relationship of God and man you know, that was only separate, separated by Satan's rebellion and man's uh, decision to follow Satan in that rebellion by, by eating forbidden fruit. But, you know, but back to verse 1, it's, um, there's, there's seven, seven words in that, um, that first sentence in the Hebrew. You know, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. So that's, a, you know, the perfect number seven. In Hebrew, it in was Hebrew, seven words. In Hebrew, okay. it was seven words. And, uh, and then we get to, to verse 2. And verse 2 is 7 times 2. It was 14 words. And where it says, The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. We see what, you know, what the before there was land and sky, you know, there's a really a poetic description of the the voidness and the the, the, the lack of form, it's called in the Hebrew, uh, tohu wabohu. You know, tohu wabohu. Before creation, there was chaotic darkness. Uh, tohu is chaos. And, uh, and then bohu, uh, darkness. Um, we might even call it the abyss. And when we talked about hell the other day, when we talked about one of the descriptions of hell, and, um, and, and people may want to go back and hear, you know, where I, I, um, my belief is not eternal conscious punishment in hell, but, you know, there's the fire that does its work, and then there's a darkness that follows it. It's sort of like a return to the, the, the pre-creation um, state of tohu wabohu, you know, chaos and darkness. But in verse 2, we see hope because it said the Lord was hovering there. Right. And then in hell, there is no hope because God has moved on. Uh, someone, uh, an astronomer, described um, the universe as like a worm, a, a giant worm that's inching its way through the darkness like a worm eats its way through dirt, you know, that, um, that life is, is continuing, continuing to be created in the universe, and then behind it, there's the collapse of life. And so there's movement, you know, there's progress. And uh, we see this in Scripture here, tohu wabohu, before creation, and then, um, and then hell is described as an abyss um, after the fire, perhaps. A void. A void, you know, a anything. void. So yeah. one of the things that um, has always been a little bit interesting to me is when we talk about the days of creation, and we have the Hebrew word there that's that's yom, y-o-m. Yeah. Uh, at least that's how we translate mm-hmm. it, right? Um, how long is a day? 
what what is the what's the time frame that they're that they're using that word yom to mean? And when we think of day, we think of twenty four hour time period. Yeah, uh, when Moses would have written that word down, he probably wouldn't have thought of a twenty four hour period of day because. Um, you know, they didn't have the chronological clocks like we have. So, you know, they would think of a day as the evening before, you know, like the Sabbath, uh, even to this day in Israel, begins when you can see three stars on Friday night. At sundown. You know, that's sundown. So, you know, the Sabbath is Friday night, we would call it, and then Saturday until sundown, you know, the next day. So, um, so probably Moses wouldn't have thought in terms of a 24-hour day. Now, he could have been thinking about the evening and the morning or what we would look at as a day on our calendar. But, uh, but it can be a, a period of time. Um, when we talk about back in the day of Noah, you know, we're talking about back during that era. That time period. That time period. So um, we really can't say from the word yom, um, we can speculate, but we don't know if it's um, a 24-hour day or a... Um, you know, a period of time. But when we look at Scripture and we, we, we see the use of the word yom there and, and we look at this creation story, uh-huh. we see that there was evening and then the next day, right? right. So uh-huh. in, in some ways, they are identifying creation as six sunrises or, or sunsets, however you, wherever you want to start mm-hmm. the clock. Yeah. And so in some ways, it could definitely be translated as though creation happened over a six-day period of time. But yeah. what about the creation of the sun? If How could it be a, quote, 24-hour period of time yeah. if the sun wasn't created yet? Yeah, Augustine argued that 1,500 years ago. He said the sun wasn't created to day four, so how could the first three days you know, be 24-hour days? Um, now we know that God's capable, you know, sure, being an all powerful yeah. God, he could have spoken everything into a, an existence instantaneously. And it, he didn't need six days to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He didn't need six seconds to do it. Right. I mean, he's an all powerful God. So when we look at this story, we have to understand and comprehend the fact that God could have created it in any period of time that he saw fit, sure. whether, whether it was instant in, in the blink of an eye or whether it was six trillion years, he, he could have chosen to do it any way that he wanted to do it. You know, this is a silly illustration, but, um, you know, if, if God said that grass was blue and you said, no, Lord, you know, grass is green. You know, I've, grass has always been green. If we went to look, uh, grass would be blue because God speaks life into existence. So, you know, I do agree that, you know, God could do it at any length of time. Now, I'm personally an old earth um, theorist, um, you know, I think that God typically works through the natural laws that he's created. So I, I lean on the old earth side. And it's kind of interesting, um, you know, I mentioned Augustine. Um, while certainly he's a creationist, and um, he, he's known as a, um, a day-age creationist, you know, that it took a long time, you know, for God to create. And, and, and really... The, the young earth creationists are, are, by and large, fairly modern. Uh, Do you ever see the movie Inherit the Wind about the Scopes Monkey Trial? No, I'm not familiar with that. Okay. Um, in 1925, there was that famous court case. Uh, Clarence Darrow was sort of the, you know, the famous um, attorney. They called this the trial of the century. It was when uh, the, the, his, the, uh, the science teacher Scopes and Dayton, Tennessee, somewhere in a small town in Tennessee, was teaching evolution. And so um, 
he, uh, you know, lost his job over it and sued. And so they had this big circus of a trial. And uh, William Jennings Bright, who ran unsuccessfully for president three times, you, you may economically remember he's the one that ran on a gold standard. And, um, and he was defeated, but he was um, a well-known, uh, we would call him an evangelical Christian today. And uh, so he argued on the side of creationism. But it's interesting that, that uh, and, and by the way, um, you know, we think that, that Daryl won the trial. They, they actually lost the trial. But then in public opinion, the creationists came off looking bad. And it was the beginning of you know, evolution being taught in our public school system. They kind of look uh, back to that case. but And I'm familiar with the case. Do you think that maybe the possibility exists, right, that, that, that neither is right? Obviously, evolution, we don't believe is correct because it doesn't follow Scripture. You, you know, order didn't come from chaos, right. you know, without an intelligent designer, without a creator. Well, but order do you came also, from chaos, but it didn't continue to be chaotic, you know, because right. it said there was chaos in the beginning before creation, but, but then God there was is order. the one who yeah, set it into right. order. Yeah, it wasn't. It, in it didn't order. automatically come into order. Yeah. And, and you know, yeah. and I, I love to give the example to people. You can take a pile of toothpicks, and you can throw them twenty-five trillion times. They're never going to form a, a house, or they're never they're never going to form anything other than yeah. some random patterns. And that's kind of. Oh, yeah. I know the the Big Bang Theory people don't like that, and the, the the evolutionists don't like that. But it's there's truth to that. It's it's hard to argue that. It doesn't matter how many times we throw those toothpicks; they're never going to form a little playhouse. And so, order cannot come from chaos. We don't see that anywhere in nature that order comes from chaos. Do you think it's possible though that with evolutionists being wrong? Do you think there's a possibility that the young Earth creationists are wrong and that the Earth is not? It, it's a little older than 6,000 years. Yeah. I mean, Augustine would argue that. Uh, and the point I was going to make earlier, William Jennings Bright would have argued that. He believed that in, um, in they being a period of time, but he didn't believe in, in evolution. You know, he was a creationist. He was a, a day-age uh, creationist, someone who believed in, in an old earth, but that God was behind everything. And a, a repeated phrase through chapter 1 of Genesis is, according to their kind. You know, God would create a certain thing and according to its time. So there's no proof that anything evolved from one kind of species to another. Well, and we see that in DNA evidence as well. And, yeah. and people that don't study this all the time may have a— hard time following this, but essentially, if we look at every progressive generation, every successive generation, mm -hmm. there's DNA information that is lost. So how could we have ever evolved from a single cell species into something if we're losing DNA information in every successive generation? So that goes against this, this idea of, of us progressing into more complex creations. Right. right? Mm -hmm. The right. other thing that I would I would like for us to to just think about just a little bit is, um, and, and this is this is something that author Ken Ham addresses in his books about creation, is when we look at um, any given uh, set of beings, right? So uh, being being is not the right word because not not all things are living, right? But when we look at any given set of matter. It could be created with age built in. For example, according to Scripture, God didn't create baby Adam. He created the man Adam. So there was some age already built in, whether it was 18 years or 30 years or how many ever. He was created with some age built in. 
is, is it not possible that, you know, our rocks and our, our earth and our, all of our elements and, and, and every set of matter that we have was created with some age built in? Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, a friend of mine, um, who's a, a, an old, a old earth creationist, but he was arguing with his, I think it was his father-in-law who, um, was a young earth creationist. And, uh, and so uh, he asked his father-in-law, he said, um, well, what do you do with fossils? And uh, the man responded and said, God put those there to fool people. <laughs> <laughs> I think that... And yeah, you, but, but no, but your point is a good one that, um, you know, God could have created things with age to them. And then, of course, I think he also argues that the flood um, threw off carbon dating. Is that right? He used uh, Ken Helm talks about that one reason carbon dating is not reliable is that the flood changed things. Well, and there's variables, there's variables to, to all of this, right? So when we, uh, when we talk about aging and you know, what is the half-life of carbon? Well, what's the half-life of carbon in a given set of circumstances in a given environment, right? And going back to the fossil thing, there's a bridge in Europe that you can hang a padlock from, you know, the underside of this bridge, it creates fossils in, in like 18 months. Hmm. It will fossilize whatever you hang from it. So there have been people that hang shoes. There have been people to hang, you know, padlocks and other things from this bridge. And, and you can look this up if Google doesn't shut down your search. But there is a bridge in Europe that fossilizes things because of the conditions, the you know, the moisture, the atmosphere, everything that's there creates fossils. And what allegedly takes, according to, you know, pure evolutionary scientists that refuse to accept any outside information, they would say that this takes millions of years to create a fossil and that all these certain conditions have to happen all at one time. And I think the reality is fossils can be created in a number of environments and they happen over different periods of time depending on that environment. Yeah. And I think the same thing could be said of, of everything, you know, the half-life of carbon. Any method that we use, we're using a limited scale of knowledge. We still don't really know how they built the pyramids, right? This is yeah. this is information. This is knowledge that we don't really have. We make all these speculate, you know, these, we have all these theories about how they built, uh, you know, ramps of sand and all this stuff. And then of course, you know, now with the, the, the show, like uh, ancient aliens where they, they say it was, you know, there were aliens built them. Yeah. There's, there's so much that we don't know. And to, to have a closed mind where we automatically assume the traditional Whatever that tradition is, whether it's the tradition of evolution or the tradition of young earth creation, mm -hmm. we have to be open to the possibilities that, you know, not everything is spelled out for us in scripture. You know, I think usually evolutionists are the ones accusing creationists of being dogmatic. Um, but think about how much dogma there is with science and a lot of times with information that they have that's unverifiable you know, like things that happened way back when, they seem so dogmatic about. Now, things that are about today, you know, like diet, for example, they may say, um, or just, let's just say the, the vaccine, you know, they're, they hedge their bets with what they say about the vaccine because they know that if they're too dogmatic, it can quickly be disproven. But it seems like the, the more they talk about ancient stuff, you know, the more, and, and, and this was made fun of, um, we were touring a, a cave, and the tour guide said those stalagmites or stalactites, whatever, said um, they're um, 800 million and two years old. 
He said, the reason I know is because I've been working here for two years. So they were 800 million years <laughs> old, you know, when I went to work here. So he was kind of making fun at how exact they were with that number. You know, no one can come along and, 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 and prove, you know, that they're younger, older than that. And so, you know, science says trust the science. But once a scientist speaks, he speaks as a philosopher. You know, he's interpreting the science. Uh, likewise, you know, the Bible is true, but once we begin to teach and preach it, then we can, uh, our interpretation can be wrong. And um, that doesn't say, though, that the, the Word of God is wrong. And likewise, we have to not only trust the science, we have to trust or be skeptical about the scientists who's speaking for science. Uh, I think it's good to look and see where they get their paycheck. You know, a lot of times Absolutely. that can really... Uh, you know, their their experimentation may verify what the the payer uh, who who pays their their salary. You know what the results. Well, I think that that's true. You get, throw you know, out the studies yeah. that don't go along with your narrative. <laughs> yeah, you know, and right. So, and uh, to some extent, we all do that, right? We yes. all do that with scripture. If, if uh-huh. there's something that we don't like, we go, "Well, that's not really." I don't. You know, I kind of hold the Catholic belief on X, Y, or Z, right? Yeah. Because <laughs> that's what you want it to be. Yeah, we and, proof text to prove our bias. You know, we begin with a bias, and then we cherry pick. You know, but uh, but essentially, you know, back to the ideas of days of creation. Uh, I haven't really noticed this before, but there's a pattern here in Genesis one where we see patterns created in the first three days, and then uh, those patterns are filled with life on days four, five, and six. So, for example. The first day of creation, let there be light, generally speaking. And then on day four, we see the creation of the sun and the moon and the stars. Uh, on the second day of creation, we see the, the creation of, um, of water and, uh, you know, the, the vault that, that prevents the, you know, that separates sky from water. And then on day five, that correlates to day two, we see the creation of water creatures and uh, the birds that fly over the water. And then on day three, we see the, the separation of the land uh, from the water. And on day six, it correlates to the creation of land creatures and then ultimately, you know, ban on land. So there, there's certainly, there's a poetic aspect of, of Genesis 1 that I think um, if, if we, we need to read it as, um, as poetry, as well as science. Um, we know that it's correct. We right. know that we it's know not it, wrong. Right. It's not wrong, but um, but we need to read it in the, the literary means by which it was written. I, I saw a picture one time of um, talk. it was pa- making fun of how we overly literalize Scripture, and it was a description of the beautiful woman in Song of Solomon. And uh, if you read that description, it talks about her hair being like a flock of goats and, you know, her breasts are twin fawns. And, you know, it just has this, this description. It's obviously and, uh, Obviously, right. And then, but the, the painting of the woman was hideous. You know, they literally had goats for hair. And, and you know, it was making the point that, um, that when something's written in Scripture, to be uh, in in a poetic or through poetry, then we interpret it like that. We interpret narrative different from poetry. Uh, we interpret the sermons different. So uh, so certainly creation story is true, but uh, we need to understand that um, 
that it doesn't tell us all we want to know about how. It's mainly so there talking is, about who. Right. You know, God it's about who. It's and not telling about us why, you know, God's love, but the big story uh, there, yeah, which we'll story. get to in a minute. So there is there is something that we haven't discussed a, a little bit. Kind of the traditional gap theory, which is after Genesis chapter one, verses one and two. Uh, the end of verse two, uh, there in the spirit of God was hovering over the waters, mm-hmm. and then we don't have a, a, a period of time. We go into verse three from from there. It just says, "And God said." So we don't know if that happened immediately after, or if there was potentially mm-hmm. a, a gap in time there. There's a lot of people that that disagree with that gap theory. Um, I, I don't. I just say that I don't know. I, I I take that stance that I don't know. And then there's another place that. Um, as I study things and as I look, I, I think there's another potential for a gap, which is at the end of chapter two, uh, verse 25 says, the man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. And then chapter three, verse one goes from there without any given explanation of the next day or the next week or a year later. And then they start with the story of the fall of man and the serpent. And so there's potentially s- several gaps here where God doesn't outline that this was this was day eight, this is day nine. And so we don't know how long these periods of time were, how long were Adam and Eve here before they yeah. sinned? Yeah. Before the fall. Uh, yeah. You know? And so I, I like to think about this when we think about the age of the earth, when we mm-hmm. think about the fossils that we find, the dinosaurs, all, all of the things that we find, mm-hmm. which, uh, and there's a show, have you seen the show? I don't, it's like dinosaur hunters or something like that. I that, not. Um, you know, in Montana, there's, uh-huh. there's a lot of, digging that goes on all the time because they right. find, you know, these, these pieces of dinosaurs, nobody's really found a whole one, but they can, they can certainly find a lot and then piece together what species of dinosaur it was. And of course, how many millions of years old it was. And so I think about these gaps in scripture that are, they're not really gaps, right? We call them gaps because we don't know, we don't understand. God didn't leave any gaps because it's not about this time period. It's, this is a non-essential thing. This is, this doesn't matter. Whether the earth is 6,000 years old or 6 billion, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter. What's the big story? What what do we need to take away from creation that does matter? Yeah, again, the who question. You know, who, you know, God is the who behind creation, the why question that God loves us. Um, you know, I think um, we need to make a distinction between footnotes in our scripture and the text of scripture. You know, a lot of us, you know, we'll read the Bible. We don't understand it. We go quickly to the footnotes, which is man's commentary on Scripture. And sometimes, you know, I've, I've heard people equate what they read in the footnotes as being the text of Scripture. So if they're a, a young earth creationist and they have uh, footnotes that verify that, or if they're, um, you know, we have a tendency to buy study Bibles that fit our belief system. So we need to separate, you know, my, this Bible I have right here has no footnotes. It's just, you know, wide margins for me to write in. And it's, um, and, and I do use certainly commentaries, but we just need to draw a distinction between those. But, uh, but yeah, back to the question, um, you know, the, the gap theories, there could be a gap between day three and day four, you know, God created, you know, and generally speaking, light and sky and land and water and separated and then beginning with day four, when he created the sun, I guess you could argue, you know, for 24. Um, From that days, point on, so it could have been right. several million years, yeah. day one and two. And then when the sun was created, then we actually had, had a period of time period that of time would have been 24 hours. would have been 24 hours. Yeah, you could argue that. But here, um, the last verse in chapter one, I mentioned that that Genesis 1-1 is seven words. 
Um, Genesis 1, 2, 7 times 2, 14 words. And then the last verse, verse 31 of chapter 1 is 3 times 7, uh, 21 words. So we're talking about that, that perfection of 7. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. So um, you know, after each day of creation, God said it's good. And then after that sixth day, particularly after creating man, he said it's very good. And, um, and I just found this out, that that word very is the same word of might from the Shema, where it says that we're to love the Lord our God with all of our hearts, with all of our souls, with all of our might. Uh, we usually think in terms of might as being with our physical bodies. You know, we love him emotionally, mentally, physically with might, but that word might means very. And so it's the idea that we love God very much with our heart. We love him very much with our, our mind. And here that word is used that when God created man, um, he saw him as very good. You know, that was the height of God's creation was when he created man. And it's sort of like even today, you know, when we look at a picture of Aunt Edna in front of the Grand Canyon, our eyes immediately are drawn to Aunt Edna. You know, we, we in our DNA, we realize that man is the, the, the crowning point of God's creation. And certainly we were created in his image. You know, we were created to be image bearers. And then when we look into chapter 2, it begins talking about the seventh day after creation. It said, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all of his work. So God blessed the seventh day, and he made it holy, because on it God rested from all of his work that he had done in creation. So all these six days of creation were done for the sake of the seventh day when it was to be enjoyed. And, uh, and, it, and it, you know, so God created in these six days of work the creation for he and his and for mankind who were created in his image and had a relationship with him to enjoy throughout a seventh day of eternity. You know, and that seventh day got broken by rebellion that we talked about earlier. But really, heaven, when we are in heaven with God, it's going to be enjoying the seventh day of creation. Going you back know, to the seventh going day. Back to so the you bring up day. a word there yeah. that we, we, we need to think about, eternity. Mm-hmm. So when we think about God being an eternal being, mm-hmm. someone who has always been there, which it, this is beyond our comprehension, right? Everything mm-hmm. in our mind is finite. And I don't know if you're familiar with this, if you study mm-hmm. or you, you keep track with uh, kind of modern physicists, but you know they just discovered maybe a decade ago that the universe is not infinite. There is a what what we consider the universe is a finite mm-hmm. thing. Now I don't know how they figured this out. I mean it's they they say it's mathematical and you know whatever. I do know this: the universe is a very big place. I can't even comprehend what infinity means. I can comprehend finite, right? I can't comprehend eternal. I can comprehend that something has a beginning and an end. So if we look at creation, if we look at the earth, it has a beginning and an end. But what about God? God's eternal. Where was he? How was he before the creation of the earth? Yeah, it's hard to wrap our our minds around that. Um, 
You know, there's two ways, according to the Greeks, of, of, count, of counting time. You know, chronos and kairos. Uh, chronos is sequential, something that you can measure, that you can count. You know, it's 9 o'clock turning into 10 o'clock and Monday turning into Tuesday. So we live on chronos time. But kairos is um, kind of a spiritual time. It has to do with, with time that's lived and experienced. You know, like how how long is a moment? <laughs> right. You know, you can't define the moment. And that's it's, been a, it's, it's that's a, a young people thing now, right? It's been a minute. Been a minute. Yeah. I don't. I, don't, yeah, I can't right, use that. Right. Or mo- right. And, and so you know, God's on Kairos time, and and we're on Kronos time. And so you know, Moses was marveling over that. I think it was Psalms ninety when he was writing about the wilderness road, and he said, um, "A day with the Lord is as a thousand years." You know, they got quoted in the New Testament. And then he even goes on to say a, a, a thousand years is like a watch in the night for God. So, you know, we're living on two different kinds of time. Um, this I, I don't really understand the ramifications of this, but, you know, when we go and look at the stars at night, we're seeing ancient history because light traveling at 186,000 miles a second, the stars are so far off that the light that we're seeing may have left years and years ago. So conceivably, we could see a light that no longer, a star that no longer exists. You know, it it could have burned out, but, you know, the light is still traveling at that speed. It's just now getting here. So, you know, God's at the beginning of that light. He's at the end of the light, and he's at every point in between. And he created the light. And he created the light. So, you know, know, we, we, we can't put, we can't trap God into chronological time. And that gets into the talking about the last days. And uh, Jesus brought that up when his disciples asked, when is all this going to happen? Um, you know, God's, God's in Kairos times. We're in Kronos times. But um, another way of looking at it, too, a friend of mine was in a Hurricane Andrew years ago. And when the eye of the storm passed over, he went outside and he said the sky was full of birds that were circling and uh, they were traveling with the storm, and as long as they were in the eye of that storm, they were protected. And I thought about, you know, wherever God is, is the eye of the, uh, what's those those words, um, bohu, wohu, labo, you know, the chaotic darkness, you know, God's in the eye. You know, his His throne is the, the incubator of light and life. And so God's continuing to create. Uh, one day there'll be a new heaven and a new earth. You know, one day, you know, earth is finite. So I, I believe that God's going to come and establish his reign here on earth. We're going to have a millennial reign. But at one point, earth is going to be uninhabitable. God's is a, you know, he's not surprised by that. He's creating a place for him to be. So, you know, he's traveling wherever God is, there's life. It's kind of like the eye of the storm. And so when we're present with him, we're eternal because we're protected by the the chaotic darkness that's all around us. That, that you know, I don't understand all of that, but sure. How that can points we? to right? You know that. How can creation is such a, and, and unfortunately, I think it's such a controversial topic yeah. because everybody has such strong opinions about you know old Earth, new Earth. Oh, it was six days. It had to be six days. It could only be six days. And there's there's just there's room here when we're talking about a holy God. When we're talking about a God that's above time, yeah. that is beyond time, that is eternal, how can we how can we put him in any mm-hmm. sort of box or circle or universe that we can even dream of? 
And, you know, we ought to be humble, you know, as we talk about it. And, um, and I do have a word of advice for, for us who are, you know, evangelical creationists in regards to talking to our children and grandchildren who've been raised up with evolution. I mean, they've been taught it all their lives. And if you have a, let's say you have a college student, your, your son, your child or your grandchild, um, and you're concerned about them becoming a person of faith, of trusting Christ, I wouldn't argue with them all the time about these issues, about, you know, insist that they be a young earth creationist. I think that's uh, a great Because point. the Bible, you know, you know, the, there's there's people who love the Lord and who love the Bible and who are both on both sides of that issue. Now, you know, I would argue that there's an intelligent design behind creation, you know, and that God is that intelligence. But, um, you know, I think sometimes we argue things like, you know, we're worried about our, you know, our liberal agnostic children and grandchildren. And so we argue about the how old earth is and whether they should vote for Trump or not, you know, instead of presenting to them what the Bible clearly teaches the redemption plan of Christ and then, um, um, you know, if they meet Christ and they get their life turned around by Christ, then some of these issues that may be keeping them from Christ, like um, young earth creationism or conservative politics, will no longer matter. God God will deal with their heart on those issues. But, right. We have to leave um, the work of the Holy Spirit the, to the Holy Spirit. Right, right. And, uh, I think it's when we close ourselves off. It's, mm-hmm. it's when we say, yeah. I'm not going to have this conversation because they're way over here. And I think this is part of the problem with our, our politics today, right? We've become yeah. polarized again. This isn't the first time we've been polarized mm-hmm. like this in our country uh, or in the world for that matter. But we've become so polarized that we're not having important conversations about the possibilities that we're wrong about some things. Right. You know, we we know that we're not wrong about God and who he is, but we definitely could be wrong about our traditions and what we think about the timeline of creation mm-hmm. and how long it took God and how quickly he could have done it in. These are all things that I think mm-hmm. we have to be open to in order to have those conversations. I think that's a great point yeah. because a lot of us are in contact with children, grandchildren, friends, next door neighbors, um, coworkers that have beliefs that are different than we do. And if we say, oh, you're wrong without even listening to their argument, how can you even come up with something that can intelligently display where we're at as a creationist. And that was, you know, this is, this is one area where I, I, I don't care for the guy as a, as a person, but I listen to him, mm-hmm. Bill Maher, right? Yeah. He's, he is sort of a self-proclaimed libertarian, um, has a lot of moral things that we would disagree with, mm-hmm. but he makes some very good points. And the, those points are because he is willing to talk to an intelligent Christian that comes on his show. He's had intelligent Christians to come on his show to talk about issues, and he's open to that. And it, it, he, is, he is currently being very outspoken about his opposition to, to some of the things um, that we're doing with cancel culture and, and yeah. how this doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. You know? right. And so I think it's important that we, that we listen to our neighbors. Yeah, amen. And, and that we have conversations with our neighbors in a loving, caring matter. That's how we win. We, we win with love. The, the, the love yeah. that God has given us, it has to flow out of us. Right. And when we close ourselves off to conversations about things that, that we're potentially wrong about, 
Um, you, you know, and you say, I'm not going to listen to your argument. That's when we just lost that person. That's so that, true. You know, yeah, we may win the battle, lose the war. When my sophomore comes home from high school and I ask her what they are studying in biology or history or something, uh, when she begins to share, I find myself getting angry and taking, wanting to take over the conversation and straighten her out. And all that does is make her defensive. It, it kind of puts her on the side of defending her teacher. Sure. And in you know two years, she's going to be at the university. And you know we're not going to be there with her. And, and you're, that's so, so true. We need to, to listen. Uh, the first word, the Shema, the prayer, the daily Jews. Um, Shema means listen or hear. Hear, O Israel. Listen, O Israel. The Lord our God is one. Love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then Jesus calls it the great commandment, and then he adds, love your neighbors yourself. And so we need to be profound listeners, not just profound speakers, but listeners. You know, listening is such an important part of, uh, of winning people to faith. Uh, I think about, you know, being salt, um, you know, how the, the uh, uh, not acronym, what do you call it, S-A-L-T, uh, across, no, yeah, it is an acronym, is an acronym. that's an acronym. Yes. Um, you know, here, here's a good formula for, for sharing your faith. S, salt, start a conversation, you know, with someone. Uh, a, ask questions. L, listen. And then T, testify or tell them your story. Um, you know, once you've asked them questions, um, you know, listen to them, hear what they're trying to say, um, try to get the motivation behind what they're saying. Let them know that you're interested in them you're interested in what they have to think, what they think, and uh, what they have to say, and uh, then you've earned the right to to share your story. We have and, to love first. Yeah, love first, and uh, and, and that's why those things come before the testimony part. Right. If you're always talking, you're never listening, and yeah. we know those people, right? We know those people that are always talking mm-hmm. and they're never listening, yeah. and they lack the wisdom that God wants us to have, mm-hmm. and that God wants to bless us with. I mean, that's the that's one that's the true treasure, right? Is wisdom. And, and so when we talk about creation, there is a wisdom that comes along with it. The, the how, the when, the how long it took, none of that matters. What matters is the who and mm-hmm. the why. Yeah. And we know that the who is God. Amen. And yeah. we know that the why is because he loved us. Right. And he loves us still. And he loves us as his children forever. And that is a concept that is delightful to think about spending eternity with him if we know him. And I, I would I would say this, and I, I can tell you this because I'm not a preacher, right? Mm-hmm. So, But I can tell you this, creation is just part of the story. Mm-hmm. We've got to have a relationship with God himself through Christ Jesus. And without that relationship, we're never going to have the kind of wisdom that he wants us to have. And we're never going to have the eternity that he wants us to have. It is essential that we're born again. Mm-hmm. And that it's not just something that we do on Sunday or something that we kind of believe with our head. And yeah, maybe that's a possibility that God exists and that Jesus was real. Mm-hmm. When it's a belief, it we, we have to be born again. And yeah. that's that we have to have a life change. It's evident. And I think that that comes through to people who don't believe in Christ mm-hmm. when we're open. Right when we're using that SALT acronym like you were talking about, and we're, we're showing that love first and not how almighty 
wise we are, right? <laughs> I mean, it's uh, because if we're being honest, the, the wisest people will tell you that they don't know much. Mm, amen. You know, Victor Frankl, who wrote Man's Search for Meaning uh, about his experiences of surviving Auschwitz in World War II, he um, said, he who has a why to live can bear most any how. You know, if you've got a, and he said the reason he was able to survive Auschwitz, I think only one out of like 18, you know, survived that prison camp. Wow. And um, he said his purpose was to survive, to tell the story about what Hitler was doing to the Jews. That gave him motivation. So that was his why. He had a why to live for. Uh, science asks, it seeks to answer the question, how? But more important than that question is the question, why? And I think even more important than the question why is the question who. Uh, I think the word relationships, most important word in the, the English language. Uh, you know, who is your who? You know, um, Solomon, when he wrote Ecclesiastes, said, um, meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless. He was describing pre existence earth, you know, before God created, that word, wohu ba tohu, you know, tohu wa wohu, um, you know, life had become meaningless for him because he was out of relationship with God. Um, no longer did work provide any meaning for him. He became addicted to drink, you know, he uh, lost his purpose for living. So, you know, how's a, an exciting word, you know, science is an exciting field to study, uh, how's an exciting word to try to answer, but more important than that is why and who. Um, Genesis begins with five words, in the beginning God created. And then Genesis ends with five words, in a casket in Egypt. You know who that's referencing? A who's, casket in Egypt? Yeah, who, who, who does the, the book of Genesis ends with the death of a person. In a, it's Joseph. 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 Um, so it begins with creation. In the beginning, God created. The sad thing is after the fall, it ends with a death, the death of the, the best man of Genesis. I mean, Joseph, you know, if anybody whetted our appetite in the Old Testament for Jesus, it was Joseph and then maybe Daniel. But, um, you know, if we were reading the Bible for the first time, when we got to Joseph, we might think that, you know, here's the, the one born of woman who's going to crush the serpent's head. You know, he's going to defeat evil. But we see that that sour note at the end of Genesis, you know, the book of the beginning of life. We see Joseph in a casket. And then we turn the page and we read the heading of that next book, Exodus. And, of course, we immediately think, you know, it's, this is the story of how God um, has his people, the Hebrews who are enslaved, to exit Egypt for the promised land. But we can also, more important than that, you know, how do we get Joseph out of his casket? You know, how do we get out of our casket? Um, and so we keep reading till we get to the New Testament. We see that Jesus is that redeemer, you know, who's able to pull back together heaven and earth that's been separated by rebellion and who's able to uh, get out of his tomb. You know, that that cross and that empty tomb are pictures of, of the re reuniting of of heaven and earth and God and, and his creature, man, uh, making it all possible. So, you know, that that's the, the story of, of creation and recreation. And, and again, that seventh day is, is, is a day that we're recreated, our Sabbath day. We keep the Sabbath day holy to be reminded that 
Uh, life is more than just about the nine to five job and just getting by. But um, there is a purpose in a this, purpose and it is for us to enjoy. It. Yeah, and that's that we can't wait for that that yeah. eternal Sabbath. Yeah. All right, brother Tim, thank you yeah. for this uh, this talk on creation. Um, thank you for listening. The next topic that we'll be discussing will be financial in nature, at least partially. Yeah. So God bless you. Um, may you enjoy your week wherever you are. Yeah, blessings to you all. Enjoy this. Yeah.